everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to help make sense of the tactical side of Major League Soccer. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, it's great to have you back. Thanks for having me back. I mean, after Daryl came in, it felt like he just did such a good job that I might have lost my gig. No, no, Daryl, Daryl did... He did do a fantastic job and we're super thankful for him for coming on. But yeah. no, it's great to have you back. I hope you enjoyed your week off, um, recovering a little bit from calling those games, right? I tried to take a couple days off, but, um, you know how it is, Joe. You're getting ready for season. There's, there's things to be done. Oh, so there's, there's I, always I things to be done. I appreciate it and so thankful for Daryl and you. And it was fun to listen to you guys do your thing last week. Yeah, so Daryl and I had fun going through uh, some new signings in Major League Soccer, some players that are new to the league. And that was a fun way sort of for us to follow up, Jordan, our conversation about new coaches in the league. This week, we're going to progress a little bit further on that topic as far as previewing the season goes. This week and next week, we're pulling out some Western Conference and Eastern Conference very specific predictions. So Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. That's exactly right. This is a total <laughs> soccer show tradition that we are now stealing and claiming it as our own. So if anyone asks, uh, we're not liable. They did, I suppose, allow us to use it. But we're going through and we're going to preview each team in the Western Conference. We're going to alternate and go back and forth and have some fun with this one. You know what I like about this, Joe, is that you can take this in so many different directions. And so no matter what's said, it, it's just supposed to be fun, right? We're just supposed to be trying to find something about these teams that is maybe interesting or something for people to look at. But we could each go to every one of these teams and give you 10 different predictions, right? So we're just trying to do one. And I think that's the cool thing about it. Yeah, this truly can go in so many different ways. And that's kind of why I at least enjoyed prepping for the show is I, I took my predictions in a lot of different ways to do with a lot of different factors, coaches, players, um, media people. I think it's going to be a fun show and I'm excited to get started. Yeah. Shall we? Shall we get to it? You're first, Joe. Oh, that's right. I am first, first on the Western Conference. So we went Table. alphabetically. So we went alphabetically. Uh, that means Colorado Rapids are first. And that was my team to preview and predict. So a little background on the Rapids coached by Robin Frazier. This offseason, their talent acquisition is kind of the big storyline, bringing in Eunice Nomley, who uh, Daryl and I talked about last week. I talked about a silky left foot that I think may only be second to Carlos Vela in MLS in terms of skill. Um, and they brought in another player, and this is this ties right into my prediction. Uh, they brought in Austin Trusty, traded for him from the Philadelphia Union. And my prediction for the Colorado Rapids this season is that I, Joe Lowry, at Joe and Cleats, will tweet about Austin Trusty's offensive contributions at least five times this season. Jordan, Ooh, Jordan, ask I like me why. This. I, I, you got me before I was going to say it. Why? What is it about Austin Trusty that you think he is going to be in five of your tweets? That's a lot. Well, selfishly, I want to talk about me first, um, just to give our <laughs> listeners a little bit of background. In case you didn't listen to the last time Jordan and I were on the mic, we were talking about my obsession with center backs. It's true. It's real. I like tweeting about center backs and what they bring, especially in the offensive part of the game. So that's half of this prediction. Uh, I like to tweet about center backs, and Austin Trusty is a center back for the Colorado Rapids. So, so far, we're doing well with that. The main reason that I think Austin Trusty will be on my radar so much this season is because he has that potential especially in Robin Frazier's system. So Robin Frazier played as a center back, as a defender. He knows how to coach center backs. Now bringing in a guy like Austin Trusty after trading for him, he'll have the ability to work with Robin Frazier and to learn offensively, especially how Frazier wants this Colorado team to play. Jordan, you've had some experience with Colorado. You know yeah. kind of the coach that Robin Frazier is. I think he's a detailed guy who wants to prepare his players like Trusty to make good decisions and to contribute even when they're in maybe a deeper area of the field that's not typically labeled as an offensive area, so to speak. Uh, you're absolutely right about that. And I think that's one of the things that you keep hearing Robin Fraser say is that he wants to give his players tools to make the right decisions in a variety of scenarios. And one of the things that I, when watching Rapids games over the last few years, but also um, really when Fraser came in there, that there was really this opportunity for a center back to open up the game. If you can have the ability to use the long diagonal ball and switch the point of attack, but also dribble into space and kind of eat some up of eat up some of that central space. If, if, if it's given to you dribble, commit the next defender and bring a, a midfielder into it and then distribute for there. So if, if he can get a hold of those things, I, I see that. And plus, uh, Colorado might be pretty good on on free kicks. You think that's going to have to do with your tweets too? 
I mean, it very well could. I could see Austin Trusty heading some balls in, in and around the box. He is, he's a big guy. Um, he's a big guy and he also has that offensive skill maybe to contribute in open play in possession. There was right. a play last season against Toronto with Union early on in the season where he recovered a long ball, um, from an Alex Bono goal kick, I believe it was. And, and Trusty kind of slalomed down that left side and played a perfect bending ball around the outside fullback. And it was just that moment kind of had me thinking once I, once I saw that Trusty was going to Colorado. Man, this combination with Robin Frazier, Austin Trusty, and then those set pieces, like you mentioned, Jordan, that could be a lethal combination. Throw in some mm. some center back tweets from me, and I think we've got a good prediction going. That's a good prediction. I like it. <laughs> I'm going thumbs up on the first prediction. I, I think I think I've got a shot, given that I can kind of cheat and make this one happen on my own if I really want to. <laughs> I think the odds are are pretty it's, good. It's October, and you're like, oh, I need a few more tweets on Trusty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have, I'll have you remind me if I haven't hit my quota okay. by, by late in the season. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and move on to FC Dallas. Jordan, this is your first team to preview. What you got for us? All right. Let me stretch it out. Let me get my prediction cap on. First, let me set you up. FC Dallas, coached by Luchi Gonzalez, his second year in charge of this crew. And it was really play the kids last year. And FC Dallas, year after year, has had so many good products coming out of their academy. A lot to do with Luchi Gonzalez and the work he did over the years. So my prediction, Joe, is Jesus Ferreira will get his first season with 10 goals and 10 assists. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Jordan, we saw him kind of come onto the scene with the men's national team in that early February game as the end of January camp for Greg Berhalter. So I think he's on the top of mind for a lot of people right now. What what is it about Ferreira? Was it about FC Dallas or Luchi Gonzalez that makes you think that he's going to have that double-double this season? Well, Ferreira is a player that I think is really interesting and really, to me, seems like he is just hungry to be better and better and better. And he's really adaptable. So he can play in a nine. He can play in a false nine position or p- play in the 10. And I think that they're going to play him in the 10 and he's going to have a little bit of more of a playmaking role out of there. But he likes to sit in between the lines. And when he sits in between the lines and the way that Dallas likes to build the ball up and really uh, have this possession with purpose style where they can pick apart a defense uh, just by shifting the ball purposefully. So as they move the ball and he finds that pocket of space in between the back line and the midfield line, he can do anything from there. And I, I think that one of the things he can do is play off the center forward really well. So whether that center forward is Cobra, who they'll probably start with right now, or it's uh, Yara, who comes in midseason and probably makes a big splash there coming into FC Dallas. I think that his ability to play off that front runner and then combine with them is really interesting. But then also when that nine pulls out of that traditional nine roll and comes to get the ball in the midfield, he can break the line. So I could see him scoring not only um, receiving a ball in behind the back line, uh, stretching a back line, but also finding that gap and just shooting from distance or combining into to get one of his front runners a, a shot on goal. But I just there's something about his attitude, right, that just leads me to believe that he's going to get this done. It's I didn't really think about this until you started describing his role and his skill set, talking about how he likes to play between the lines, but he can also burst through the opposing back line if uh-huh. that space is vacated. He's the perfect guy to predict this 10-goal, 10-assist season four. His skill set is so perfect for that, and I didn't realize that until you started going, but now I'm a little jealous that I didn't think of that before <laughs> you started because he has that versatility to truly yeah. impact the game, whether that's as a 10, as a 9, as a winger, as a central midfielder. He can do any of those things, which from a development standpoint, is probably an advantage and a disadvantage in terms of getting consistent minutes in any one mm-hmm. spot. But he's going to play for Lucha Gonzalez, assuming he's healthy. He's going to play. And assuming he's not you know, tied up for Olympic duty for too, too long at the beginning of the season, he's going to make a real impact. And I think statistically, you're probably spot on. And I'd be pretty confident if I were you. Yeah, and with that, and then when you have a player like Barrios or Pomichol, players that can... Barrios... Those two very different skill sets, but they can both beat defenders on a dribble, right? And Pomichol, I think a little bit more, has the ability to uh, drop balls on a dime into certain parts in beyond the back line. And I just think that those two have known each other for a long time and they're going to continue to work together really well. And I just I, I feel this prediction. I like it, Jordan. I think, I think we're on Come a strong on. start here. Okay, let's go. Okay, so we're, we're going to stay in Texas. We're going to head down to Houston. You have the Houston Dynamo next here, Joe. 
I do. So Houston Dynamo coached by a new head coach, Tab Ramos, which is probably their their biggest update or uh, biggest storyline headed into this 2020 season is bring in Tab Ramos. Wilmer Cabrera didn't make it through last season. Now Ramos comes over from the US U20s. Jordan, you and I already talked about him in a right. previous episode, in episode two of MLS Assist. If you missed that, go ahead and, and check back Woo! in the Total Soccer Show go feed back. and listen to it. <laughs> um, but my prediction with a new coach at the helm is that the Houston Dynamo will be one of the top five teams in MLS in terms of in terms of expected goals in 2020. So okay, okay, this is I think this is a good prediction because I think it Lee is it Houston usually up there. And expected goals? I mean, they certainly have the talent to do so. Last season yeah. was an anomaly, an anomaly at least in terms of their ability to create those chances. They were 15th in MLS last season in terms of expected goals created with 45.3 over the course of the entire season. And before I go any deeper on this prediction, I think it's important just to give a brief explanation of expected okay. goals. We talk yeah. about it a lot, not necessarily um, on this show, but it's talked about a lot in the soccer community. The idea of expected goals is is that it's the probability that an average player will score a goal based on where on the field and how the shot was taken. So it's essentially thousands and thousands of shots worth of data synthesized down into into one shot to compare to any chance. So the idea for Houston is that I think they're going to be one of the top five teams in terms of their ability to create quality goal-scoring opportunities in 2020. Okay, tell me why. Who are the players you're looking to to be these these uh, expected goal people? So I didn't know what to call them. <laughs> no, that's perfect. I think you summed it up well. It's it's two parts for me. Definitely half of it is the players. You look at the attack, the attacking talent they have. These guys are well known. Maro Manotas at striker, mm-hmm. Albert Elise out on the right wing. Those are probably two of the best players at those spots in all of Major League Soccer. Then you add in a guy like Memo Rodriguez, who played almost fifteen hundred minutes for the Dynamo last season out on the left wing, or he can tuck back into midfield a little bit too. Really talented guy who I think is coming into his own in MLS. Then on top of that, you add in Darwin Quintero, who they traded for from Minnesota United. Um, all four of those guys could be just dynamic attackers. And you have Thomas Martinez as well, who has been that kind of attacking midfielder in what was Wilmer Cabrera's 4-2-3-1 in the past. Now with Tab Ramos, and this is the other half of my prediction, you bring in okay. a guy like Tab Ramos who has a structured idea of how he wants to play. That really couldn't necessarily be said for Wilmer Cabrera. In the past, you bring in Ramos who wants to play a detailed 4-3-3 system. He might switch it up to a 4-2-3-1 from now and then, but it's a 4-3-3 largely with one central defensive midfielder, two advanced eights, fullbacks push high. They combine with the wingers and the ball side central midfielders. Lots of dedicated contributions, combinations all around the play. He wants to control the ball. He wants to press. So they could be stretched defensively at times, but that's not the prediction. The prediction is that they're going to create chances using <laughs> Tab Ramos's detailed system and using the quality, quality attacking talent that they have. So, I think okay. this could be a good year for Houston, at least in terms of an entertainment uh, value and the product that they're putting out from a neutral perspective. Okay, I'm going to say also add to your prediction, expected goals against are going to go up. Oh, the, I think that's perfect. I'm glad you <laughs> mentioned it. That's a nice little bonus prediction for everybody. I think it's going to be almost a pendulum. One's going to swing up and one's going to maybe drop down just a little bit more. Um, Jordan, let's go ahead and move on to the next team that you have to preview here, the LA Galaxy. Uh, tell yeah. us a little bit about them. I mean, I don't really know if much has happened for the Galaxy in the offseason. <laughs> There's not a lot to talk about. Of course not. Uh, uh, no, I'm I'm really excited. LA Galaxy, let's talk a little bit about last year um, and where they sit right now, coached by Guillermo Barroschelotto. And he is making some changes. They're making some changes out there. Zlatan is out. Chicharito is in. And you have to talk about Chicharito, right? I, I think... <laughs> He's not a big part of my prediction, but really excited about how he's coming in and what he can contribute to this team, because I think it really is going to make this LA Galaxy team function as a whole so much better. We saw in glimpses last year, right, Joe, is when Zlatan wasn't on the field, just how much better this LA Galaxy team was at defending in higher up positions and a, their ability to win the ball back um, as a unit, I think was just night and day different when Zlatan wasn't on the field. 100% bringing in someone else to, to actually contribute a little bit defensively in Chicharito right. is going right. to, I think, change the way this team plays on as a whole. Okay, well, I am predicting that LA will have more wins this season. So last year they had 15, but they're going to have fewer shutouts. They had eight last year. 
I think this LA Galaxy team and the ability that they have going forward with Chicharito and Pavone and Corona and Legette and add in Sasha Question in there, I think that this is going to be a team who, like kind of what you said with Houston, is they're going to go forward, but it's going to it's going to be stylish. They're going to throw numbers forward without really a care of of what's behind them. And I think uh, we've seen that in moments for LA Galaxy and that they're, they were probably one of the teams that when you're going to face them last year, you thought, okay, the counterattack is always going to be on, right? Mm-hmm. There's going to be opportunities on the counter when you're playing LA Galaxy. So I believe that that is going to be um, the case again. I I am curious about how the midfield shapes up. And, um, you know, Jonathan Dos Santos is an amazing central midfielder, and he holds it down as that, that lone six. But are they going to switch to more of a, a double pivot role, a two holding midfielder position, just to give them a little bit more stability and give those front runners some more um, ability to be creative going forward? It's it's a great question. Just the midfield players you've already named: Jonathan Dos Santos, Joe Corona, Sebastian Legette, uh, and then Sasha Kleshin as well. You can't probably play all of those guys at the same time, right? Um, and so how Baroshaloto chooses to structure that midfield and then the attack, you know, kind of flowing from that is going to be a really interesting storyline. I don't think we know fully exactly what he's going to do in terms of personnel. So seeing mm-hmm. how he sets up that team could actually have a pretty big impact on how successful they are in the regular season. Yeah. And mind you, David Bingham faced the most amount of shots last year. He had 195 shots faced, made 141 saves. I just don't see... I know they added some defensive help, Um out wide, but I just don't see this LA Galaxy team really being that much better defensively in, in this season. And uh, we'll see. But I don't think LA Galaxy is worried about their defensive presence as much <laughs> as they're going to be worried about their attacking presence, which is going to be really fun. And if you're scoring three goals a game, then is it really does it really matter? A 3-2 game is more fun than a 1-0 game. That's all I'm saying. Right? Um, so just to recap, your prediction is that the Galaxy will win more games this season than they did last year, but they'll yes. also have fewer shutouts, so they'll give up more goals over the course of the season as well. They will, so they're going to have more than 15 wins, but they're going to have less than eight shutouts. I like it. That would not surprise me one bit. Jordan, I think we've done well with our predictions so far. I mean, we could sound yeah. really foolish in about three right. months, um, but now <laughs> it sounds great. Which is the best part about it, you know? <laughs> That's preseason for uh, you, right? Okay, we stayed in Texas before. We're going to stay in L.A. right now and just go a little bit up the freeway. LAFC, bring it to us, Joe. LAFC, coached by Robert Bradley, coached by Bob Bradley. Um, they're in CCL this time for the first time in their club's brief history. Um, the big storyline, I think, headed into this one is how long are they going to hold on to their talents? Um, they've had, and they have probably the most talented roster in Major League Soccer. You could argue that the Galaxy's attack is a close, in term, uh, from a positional perspective, um, having a lot of talent forward in the attack. But LAFC's roster from top to bottom, even now without Walker Zimmerman, is still absurdly talented. And so my prediction kind of stemming from that reality is that two of LAFC's key players will not be on the roster by the end of the season. So I think they're going to lose a couple of guys uh, over the course of 2020. Lose them like to they're moving teams, they're getting traded, or they're not, they're going to be worn out because they're playing in multiple different competitions. Ooh, I mean, it could be a combination of all of those things. This prediction is specifically centered around LAFC's emergence as kind of a middleman in the global transfer okay. market. I think it's, I okay. think it's time for LAFC to play that middleman role. They've been going through South America, picking up quality young talent on their own. Now it's time that they set some of those guys free and they allow them to move to Europe. They sell them for even if it's not the top dollar that they want, maybe they sell them for a million dollars less than they want just to establish themselves as an actual presence in the transfer market. I mean, it's this the Diego Rossi kind of storyline that we've been hearing for months now. Maybe Not quite a year, probably, but for at least six months. He's had interest from Europe, from Fiorentina, I believe, among other clubs. But he's still on the roster this season. He's still on the roster. He's going to play a big part in LAFC season. But they also brought in Brian Rodriguez last season, another Uruguayan, another Uruguayan young, talented guy who can play in a similar spot. And so they're they're supplementing these young talent with more young talent. And so I think it's time that some of those guys go. Maybe that's an Eddie Segura, although they just sold Walker Zimmerman. They just traded him to Nashville. So maybe yeah, they keep that center back. Yeah, you can't get rid of Segura back. yet. 
<laughs> Maybe they keep that center back and they, they get rid of Eduard Atuesta instead, who's probably my favorite defensive midfielder to watch in Major League Soccer. So smooth on the ball, so clean, so technically skilled. Um, but he's, he's obviously able just by watching him you can see that he's able to play at a higher level so maybe Atuesta and Rossi are gone or maybe maybe Rodriguez is gone at the end of the season or then once they sell those guys they can allow the younger players the younger midfielders or the younger wingers that they either already have on their squad or that they can bring in from abroad from South America from Europe from wherever and they can start the cycle all over again so I think it's time that LAFC yeah. kind of stepped up to the plate and really became the the foremost selling club in Major League Soccer. It's an interesting prediction, and I think you really changed it up with that one, and I like it. I just think that they're not going to do that until they win. It's That's a fair point, honestly. You look at CCL especially. Maybe, maybe Jordan, there's a middle ground here. Maybe if yeah. they compete in CCL and get past Leon in that first round, uh, which is going to be extremely difficult, but they, they make a run in CCL and bring home the trophy, maybe then they can say, okay, this group of players has done their job. We can mm-hmm. be a little freer in actual MLS play and sell some of those guys. But you're not wrong, Jordan. You're very much not wrong about that. It's also hard to say you didn't win when you had a season like you did last year if you're LAFC. Yeah, you didn't win the cup, but man, you you literally won everything else. Like when it comes to Major League Soccer and the points and the goals and the style of play and the um, supporter shield. So I I would agree with you. I think they have become a, a real a place to go develop and then can they move those players on and just one more tactical mm-hmm. thing that you kind of just brought up there they played so well last season bob bradley was able to kind of input his style of play onto this team but the one thing that i'm interested from a tactical standpoint of seeing in 2020 is if they can break down a really low block i remember yes. uh, they struggled to break down minnesota united uh-huh. mason toy had a couple of really nice goals in a pretty big game last season then seattle uh, in the playoffs uh, seattle beat lafc by playing a really well-structured defensive scheme, not allowing LAFC to break them down in the wide areas, not allowing them to penetrate centrally. How LAFC adapts the season and breaks down a lower defensive block is going to be super interesting to me. And so in addition to whether or not they'll lose a couple of players, I'm curious to see how they will transform stylistically to give themselves a better chance in 2020. And you mentioned that point too about the Champions League and this this roster is kind of built for for playing Champions League and Major League Soccer season, right? If you can have the depth that you have, like Bob Bradley does, that that's one of the hardest things for an MLS team to do when they're in Champions League, right? Is play your players that you want to play in those games and also play those players on the weekend. And when you have this plethora of players like Bradley does, it might be kind of that perfect scenario. Yeah, it, Club Leon is going to be a difficult one in this first round, but at the same time, they have the depth to maybe make a deeper run and also perform well in Major League Soccer season. Yeah, I think even without Walker Zimmerman, they still have the best shot of any MLS yeah. team. Maybe Seattle I, is up there as well. I think that's going to hurt them, though. I uh, really do. It probably At will. At least in frankly. the short like, term. You can't win. You can't win. Even if you win, you can't win, Jordan. <laughs> like, if you do one, well, oh, one gosh, competition, right? it's so hard to I keep know. it up. Um, one team that's not in CCL, sorry, Minnesota United, is, is the Loons out in Minnesota. Jordan, this is your next team. Uh, what do you got on Minnesota? They United? did do a really good job. Their kits, though, this year, pretty sweet. They're nice. They're nice. The logo also is just is so clean. But that's another okay. discussion. Uh, I'll stick to the point. I'll stick to my predictions. <laughs> um, if I would have predicted predicted best kit, then that would have been a whole another thing. Uh, so, coached <laughs> by Adrian Heap, and the big question: Can they maintain their 2019 momentum? A team that made the playoffs and had a good stretch there uh, later on in the season. The big changes, Quintero is out. You mentioned he's in Houston now. And they are still talking about signing a big DP, a big player in Emmanuel Reynoso. And as we speak, that deal is, um, by Adrian Heath has been commenting, it's about 95% done. So we'll see when that other 5%. <laughs> I was going to say it's that 5%, the last 5 is the hardest <laughs> right? to do. So uh, they're still talking about that, but... What I want to talk about is their other new signing, a uh, tri- uh, loan from Club Atletico Velez Sarsfield in Argentina is Luis Amaria. And, um, Amaria is a front runner. He's a nine. He is my prediction. I think he will be the most opportunistic goal scorer in MLS. So when I'm saying this, Joe, like picture this with me. And I don't, I don't know when I say most. 
I don't know how you I'm going to quantify this, but I think he's going to score <laughs> a lot of I call them garbage goals, just goals where you're like in the right place at the right time and you're just tapping it in or poking it in or it's bouncing off a couple players off of a longer shot from distance and you just happen to be there and you can pass it in the back of the net. So this guy to me, when I watched him in his highlights and when I watched him play a little bit, he scored every different type of goal. He had a toe poke that he turned in and faced at the top of the box and just used the quickest shot he could with his toe to put it on frame and scored that way. He stretched the back line, took it off his chest with a touch that went across the face of the defender into the space they just came from. So changing direction really quickly um, to then put it in. So he does have the ability to score really nice goals. And I think he'll score really nice goals for Minnesota. But I think with the way that Minnesota plays and their ability uh, to get to the combination plays and get players on the, their outside channels into the attack, like Metanair and Gasper, can those players cross balls in and then just off the back shoulder, I think this is going to be a player who's just opportunistic and, and Maria is going to score a lot of goals for them. Just, I was about to touch on those fullbacks. It's perfect that you mentioned them having that service, maybe from wide areas. And then maybe even a guy like Jan Gregus who likes to play those long balls from deep in midfield. Mm-hmm. All of those kinds of passes into that center yeah. forward, into Amaria, could be perfect for him. I haven't seen film of him, so I'm actually so yeah. glad that you brought him up because I've been wondering. I've heard his name many times, but I've never actually had a chance to sit down and if watch you him. Go, so if that's the yeah. style... I was just going to yeah. say, if you go to Minnesota's last preseason game, he scores a very opportunistic goal. It gets crossed in. It kind of goes... It gets deflected a little bit, and he's just right there to just tap it in, and it's, it's exactly what I kind of am... I feel like we're going to see for him. Plus, um, we'll see if uh, they're signing last year, Thomas Chacon and then Robin Ludd. Uh, these two players who are midfield type players can be playmakers, but like to shoot the ball for, from distance. I'm thinking that if Amaria... Rebound City. Yeah, if, if Amaria is a player who is opportunistic, he's going to be like, okay, this guy's got the ball. He's going to take this player on shoot it from distance. I'm just going to put away the scraps. Like I, I don't even care how it goes in. <laughs> that's perfect. I think, I think that's something that Adrian Heath is going to absolutely love. Adrian Heath talks a lot about how he likes to coach center forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always looked at it from kind of Mason toys point of view, because he is that young American guy who, who could potentially play an impact for the national team at some level in the future. But toys can have competition, right? Amarillo's coming in. He's good at scoring those garbage goals. As you said, um, they're going to have a center forward competition brewing at the top of probably what will likely be a four two three one or a four three three for for Which Minnesota. Which is exactly United. what you want: competition, competition to compete for the that top spot, that best goal scorer in the squad. I'm into this. So am I, and it's kind of funny that Minnesota United is right before the next team that we have to cover because these are sort of similar predictions. Yeah, okay. Your last one being Amaria is going to score the most opportunistic goals in Major League Soccer. And this one for me, Nashville coached by Gary Smith, my prediction for them is that they will have all three of their primary strikers score more than six goals, but fewer than 10 goals. So more than six, but fewer than 10. I think, I think we're looking at another center forward competition brewing down in Nashville, a little bit south of Minnesota, but a similar situation. Gary Smith coaching this team. We've talked with him before, Mm -hmm. Jordan. Gary Smith coming up from USL with this team as an expansion team in their first year in MLS. He's a serious forward competition brewing. Dominic Baggi, who's been an MLS mainstay over the last number of seasons. Daniel Rios, who's coming up from USL with these guys, um, with Nashville. And then Abu Danladi, who's coming from Minnesota United. Those are the three guys in contention to play as that number nine in what's almost certainly going to be a 4-2-3-1 system. So all of those guys have a shot to get minutes. And I think it's going to be a true battle in preseason and throughout the entire regular season to see who's going to play. Okay, so how are they different? And I want to talk about the types of goals that maybe each one of them will score. Yeah, of course. So, so starting with Baji, he can play. He's not the biggest guy. I actually thought he was bigger than he was when I actually looked and went back and watched a little bit of film. But he can play as a hold-up guy, as as a number nine, or move into different vertical channels. He played on the wing a little bit last season for FC Dallas, if I'm not mistaken. So he has positional versatility. He can play with his front to goal as well and, and combine a little bit there. Dunlady has really good speed. That's something that Gary Smith has highlighted. He's a quick player who can even play on the wing as well, probably out on the right side if he's not playing up top. 
Then Daniel Rios, he also has good combination play. He's he kind of changed the way Nashville played in USL coming in for their second, not not uh, two seasons ago, but last season he came in for Gary Smith. He he allowed them to stop crossing in so much from wide areas and had them combine a little bit more centrally, make them into a little bit of a more dangerous possession team instead of just a, a sit deep and then we'll cross it in and, and hope for the best from there. So three contrasting styles. Badgie almost has the middle of of Dunlady and Rios. He's quick, has good hold up play. Um, but they all are unique in their own way, and I think that's what's going to make it so hard for Gary Smith to decide who on earth he wants to play as a nine. I want to know from you, Joe, who of those three is scoring the most goals, though? Ooh, bonus prediction. Okay, so obviously none of them can score more than ten, because that would mean yeah. this prediction is wrong, and that just can't So nine happen. and a half. No, so kidding. nine and a half goals. <laughs> I think I'm going to go on, on, on a limb here and say that Daniel Rios, coming up from USL, is going to score the most goals for Nashville SC out of their out of their strikers out of their striking core i was kind of thinking that too because when you said combination play that's what led me to think that it might be him just because he might find himself in a spot where he could play in the midfield too and play almost a false nine or a 10 and be that player that then plays off of baji maybe you can get both of them does he have that ability i don't know that he could necessarily play as a dedicated midfielder but if smith decided to play a front two I think mm-hmm. he's a perfect fit alongside okay. probably Baji as the best, you know, dual, uh, like yeah. a duo pairing. Um, but yeah, he's, I think he's going to get minutes. He's a good player, probably one of the, the better, if not the best player coming from USL to Major League Soccer for this 2020 season. So it's going to okay. be a fun, fun competition to keep an eye, at least half an eye on in national okay. season, even for Which, neutrals to watch for. Right or left? Right or left eye? Oh, half I don't know. Eye. My right eye is pretty much trash so let's go okay, left eye so left eye left yeah. eye keep half your left eye on it joe yeah and a contact lens would be helpful for me at least <laughs> uh, jordan up next for you is the portland timbers what you got yes okay let's go up to the pacific pacific northwest uh coached by giovanni savarisi and last year portland really was almost a better team on the road than they were at home um and they lost more games at home than they had in a long time. So I think that's one of the things that they're going to try to right the ship here in 2020. But what I'm excited for, Joe, is I think we're going to have a Bash Brothers kind of <laughs> introduction to MLS. The Chara brothers are going to be responsible for 40% of Portland's goals this year. And I'm bringing in the MLS assist rule, right? So not only that first assist, but the second assist too. Um, I think the Char brothers are going to be all over the map. Jordan, I absolutely love this prediction, not only because you plugged our show's title, but also because <laughs> it's just so creative. They have both guys on this team, both Chara brothers. Um, why do you think they're going to be so impactful for Portland in 2020? These two brothers bring a lot of passion. And I want to say... Um, so Diego Chara, everybody knows him in MLS. I mean, he might run the most out of any player ever. He runs a he, lot, yeah. He, he covers so much ground defensively. He can get himself into the attack at times as well when he leaves that holding midfield spot. But, um, really good out and out six, sets the pace, distributes well, but breaks up the plays. So as he's breaking up plays, he's going to have his brother, and I believe it's Jeannie Chara. We're going with it. I might. Yeah, we're going to go with it. He's new, so I'm trying to learn. Um, Jamie Chara is a little bit more attacking-minded, but he still has that uh, tenacity that you get with that last name, Chara. And I just feel like the combination of Diego sitting in and breaking up the play, connecting with his brother, who I think could sit in the middle and flanked by Valerian Blanco, hmm. uh that those three will have the ability to combine and go forward. And uh, Jimmy can score goals. And I just, I don't know what it is, but I feel like these two are, they're going to have that brother brotherly connection. They're going to go forward um, and they're going to be all about helping Portland in the attack. I don't know. I wish I could tell you exactly what it is, but I, I think it's mostly, I just want the brother, the bash brothers. Well, out and there. that's, that's the thing I was just about to say. <laughs> We talk so much about tactics and about observable things that we can notice and yeah. strategize for, but there's something just to be said with growing up with someone and playing soccer with yeah. them that you just can't explain. You can't quantify it. So having these two guys on the same professional team able to contribute right. in, yes, slightly different areas of the field, 
but they're still going to be able to combine. They're still going to be able to contribute within the locker room and out on the field, wherever Jimmy is playing. I think it's going to be somewhere on that, you know, attacking trio of the 4-2-3-1, kind of like yeah. you mentioned. I'm guessing he might start a little wider just to save Diego Valeri some, some effort on his legs. But regardless, yeah. wherever these guys are playing, Diego likes to get forward. Yumi can get up and down the side or up and down the middle. It's going to be really fun to watch and something that we don't see in Major League Soccer very often. I certainly don't recall in my time having seen a pair of brothers on the same team. I'm sure it's happened before, but this is so fun, right? So fun. I, I want the Mighty Ducks Bash Brothers. They have to have some kind of handshake or maybe it's just like their big giant Chara smiles. Like they <laughs> score a goal, go back to back and just like smile at the camera. I don't know what it is. I think, Jordan, I'm I think you should call portland and have some suggestions as far as celebrations go okay, maybe we fine. can make a list uh you know off mic and we'll go through and i'll look through them too <laughs> and we can send some suggestions over to portland and i think we can get Perfect. this thing going hopefully they don't change their numbers once they hear that <laughs> we have suggestions <laughs> so i think i also think that it, tying back into portland's uh record at home i just think that that Shoring up the midfield a little bit with both of them is going to help them at home just get back to their winning ways. So that's my, those are my Portland predictions and my big one, Char Brothers, 40% of goals. That's a lot, but I said it. I love it. Um, okay. We're going to go RSL next. Yeah. So we've got, uh, Real Salt Lake coached by, uh, Freddy Juarez. Not a ton of high profile with offseason additions for RSL. Bringing in Justin Miram from Atlanta United uh, as a free agent is probably the biggest addition that they made to the squad. But I don't think that's necessarily surprising. Freddy Juarez's kind of DNA. He's come up through the youth levels and the academy coaching system for RSL. So he he sees the kids, he knows the roster that they have coming in after being an assistant coach last year, then the interim head coach, now the official head coach, he has that familiarity with RSL's system. So I don't think we're going to see a ton of changes both in formation and in in roster, even as there's still a little bit of time left before the season actually starts. So with all of that in mind, my specific prediction for RSL is that Kyle Beckerman, the central defensive midfielder we all know and love, will spend more time playing in a standard center back position than any other non-center back in MLS. So Kyle Beckerman, defensive midfielder, will be playing in a center back space more than any other non-center back in Major League Soccer. As he is out there as a center back or you're think, thinking he's going to shift into that spot? I'm thinking he's going to shift into the spot. I, I worded the, the hey, prediction very carefully just so I wouldn't yeah, be caught in that trap. Um, the way the way RSL likes to play, especially under 40 Haras at the end of last season, and I had a chance to go down to Tucson here in Arizona to see them play in preseason and ask him about this, actually. But the way Freddy Juarez likes to play is in a 4-2-3-1 with two defensive midfielders, Kyle Beckerman being one of them. Beckerman you know, is often instructed to drop deep either in between the center backs or outside of the center backs to form a temporary back three. So with Beckerman a little bit deeper, he can act as the kind of the possession metronome. He can play long balls from deep. He definitely did that in the game against Portland last season in the playoffs. He tore Portland's, you know, defensive setup to shreds in that playoff match that allowed them to move on to play Seattle in the playoffs for MLS Cup. Kyle Beckerman is so often dropping deep to act as that offensive catalyst Juarez referred to it as sort of a plus one player. So imagine, Jordan, I'm going to set the scene here. Imagine that RSL are playing the New York Red Bulls. Red Bulls under Chris Armas like to play in a 4-4-2 block, tight with two forwards up pressuring the opposing center backs. If RSL were playing in a standard 4-2-3-1 with just the two center backs, they wouldn't have a numerical advantage against Red Bulls front two. They would be 2v2. It's hard to advance the ball and play out from there. That's where Kyle Beckerman comes into play for Freddy Juarez. You drop Beckerman from midfield, into the back line. All of a sudden, you have a 3v2, 4v2 even with the goalie, depending on how comfortable either Zach McMath or David Ochoa is playing with their feet in goal. But then you have the advantage in the build-up phase, and you can play out from there. So I think it's going to be a huge asset for RSL this season, as long as they can find the right balance of when to keep the midfield structure and when to add numbers to the back line. I like that, and I like the detail of that. Yeah, this this one was a fun one for me, just because I could nerd out on the tactical stuff, which is kind of what the show's about anyway. Um, but allowing, kind of hearing Juarez's term as that plus one guy cemented this idea in my mind. And so now when I watch RSL this season, either for the show or for writing some sort of analysis piece, I'm going to keep at least, maybe I'll keep the other eye, even though my other eye isn't as good. Okay. Maybe I'll keep the other eye that I'm not uh, focusing. <laughs> um, I'll be able to keep that on RSL and on Kyle Beckerman, Kyle Beckerman, even without his dreadlocks to see how often he's shifting back and how RSL's possession structure kind of fluctuates as a result of that. Yeah, that's one of my favorite 
tactics in attack is using that holding midfielder as an additional player to bring the ball out of the back line. And I think Beckerman does it really well. Darlington, Darlington mm-hmm. Nagby does it really yeah. well. Um, and I think that that addition to RSL is going to help them. It just helps them start their possessions. Right. And, and when you can get the ball to Kyle Beckerman as much as possible, then you're going to be in a better spot. 100%. And I just have a question for you, Jordan, tactically. Yeah. You have experience actually being in situations like this on the field. When you drop a midfielder into that build-up unit down by the center backs, what things have to adjust further up the field to maintain sort of that structural integrity so that you're not sacrificing too much either after you lose the ball or once you advance the ball farther up the field? Well, you have to be aware of the spaces that you, that your teammate has left. So, right. So when Kyle Beckerman leaves that holding midfield's position and goes into the back line, He's going to leave a gap there. But what happens is it provides a little bit more space for the midfielders to then rotate and find different channels to try to get the ball in to then get out or provide numerical advantages wherever you want to if you're RSL. So I think that you, of course, you're aware when you have the ball of what's around you and how it might break down and what space you're trying to fill in, especially that space right in front of the that then back three there, because that's going to be the most difficult with then mm-hmm. two main channels that they can pass through if a team gets the ball and breaks. But you're more interested in trying to see how you're you're trying to break the team down. So if you can um, say Beckerman slides out to the right and picks up the ball there, then is there a channel to find the uh, the other holding midfielder in that four two three one who's dropped into more of a central spot? Um, to then get out the other side quickly in a bigger diagonal, or is that open up a channel to then play and break a couple of lines to, to get the ball up the field a little bit more. So there's just a little bit more space in there for those midfielders who are working in there to operate. in when that holding midfielder goes out, because it pulls the defense out in a different way. So maybe, maybe as Beckerman drops, that's a guy like Albert Rusnak who can survey that space from the attacking midfielder spot. And he can sort of see, if he can create an overload on the side, if Beckerman drops to the wing, or maybe that's the long cross field diagonal over yep. to the opposite winger. There are just so many options. I think that's right. that's kind of the best part about this. If RSL can find a way to capitalize on that extra space now in midfield to transfer their their additional number and build up into sort of a meaningful attacking contribution higher up the field, I think they couldn't be kind of a surprise tactically as far as how fun they are to watch uh, in 2020. So thank you. That's That's actually... I was simply curious when I was making my notes as yeah. to what your perspective was on that. There you go. Okay. So you got a perspective on RSL from Jordan. Now we're moving to San Jose. Uh, another another time we're going to get a perspective from Jordan. What you got on the San Jose Earthquakes? Okay. San Jose really switched up last year. Matias Almeida bringing in the man marking system. And it took a while for them to get, a hang, to get the hang of it and to find the true discipline. I think it... In 2019, a little bit of it was due to fitness and just trying to get in that right uh, fitness capacity. But it was once they got there and really that. Do you remember the pregame pep talk from Tommy Thompson? Oh, I do. I do remember that because they they started so badly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they were losing, losing, losing. And um, if it's not this week, it's next week. And Tommy Thompson really helped them turn it around. It was. And they they found their stride. Uh, My prediction mine's a twofer because you can't you can't talk about san jose earthquakes and not talk about wando scoring 10 plus goals right Amen. so so you have to say wando is going to have his 11th year with 10 plus goals i just i'm going to be quick on this one because i think the other one has a little bit um more to do with what i want to say about san jose but the guy just score goals. You start, you start him, you don't start him. He comes on, he finds a way to score a goal and all different kinds of goals near post runs, maybe his, his favorite thing to do. But I think Wando is going to continue that streak and uh, obviously very excited for him to be back in San Jose for another year as he gets another opportunity to do that. That 11 year statistic I'd seen it already in our Google Doc. Hearing you say it out loud is incredible. I mean, that blows years. my mind. 11 years, not only just playing as a professional, first of all, that's impressive, but scoring double-digit goals for that many consecutive years is insane. 
And if Wando can do it for this 11th year, I mean, man, props to him. One of the best goal scorers or maybe the best goal scorer in American soccer history. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's he's so good. And um, I just I think he is such a good story. And um, because he didn't play a lot, really, his first few years. And then he found his stride and took off. So enough about Wando because he's going <laughs> to do it. Ten plus goals for sure. I want to talk about San Jose, that they are going to give up more goals this year than they did last year. So Ooh. I talked about the man marking system. And I don't remember, Joe, I don't know if anybody else has done this in MLS. They probably have at some point, but I, I can't remember any team that has done it as of recently, a man marking system. Can you? No, neither can I. It was definitely new to me in terms of my, my past analyzing MLS tactics. It was totally new. Yeah. So under Matias Almeida, defensively, there's, there are responsibilities that you have to have in a man marking system. It's your man. You, you are responsible for your man. And so some of the basic principles of defensive teamwork and soccer kind of get thrown out the window, right? When, when you're talking about simple principles of pressure and cover. So when you're playing in a zone, somebody pressures the ball and then you have cover underneath you to cut off the passing channel. But then if the ball gets played to the player in your zone, then you're going to pressure that person in your zone, right? So with a man marking system, it really kind of takes that pressure cover away because if you get beat by your man and then the next person steps, they're leaving a man behind with nobody else in their quote unquote zone because there aren't zones um, completely free. So it is putting a lot of pressure on these players, not only physically uh, with the amount that they have to run around the field, because I think teams in MLS has started to figure out, like, just run your man out of the space that you want to attack in um, and create some gaps for your team by just literally taking that your defender out of that um, part of the field. Um, so San Jose gave up a lot of goals last year. I'm going to say they give up 60 plus goals this season in MLS. Oof. That's what Sporting Kansas City did last year. It's a lot, but I I just I just feel like teams have kind of figured it out and it was a little too new last year and um nobody faces it, but now that you faced it at least once, some teams twice, that they're going to have a little bit better understanding of how to adapt to that mid-season. And and frankly, if if San Jose don't give up more goals this season, I think I'm slightly higher on the man marking system than you are. But I'm sure we'll talk about this throughout the season. If if teams don't score more goals on San Jose per game, kind of than they do last season, even if we cut out the beginning six games of the year when they are pretty atrocious, they gave up so many goals <laughs> at the beginning of last year. If other MLS teams aren't performing better against the man marking system, we have to ask some serious questions of how they're preparing from game to game. Like if you're looking at San Jose and your coach comes up with no ideas, no specific combinations for how to beat a man-marking system, and we see teams just look as baffled as they did at, at the middle point of last season, right. then, man, like that says a lot about how teams are preparing, how they're watching film, how they're scouting, and all of those things. So regardless, Jordan, of whether or not you're right, obviously for your sake, just, you know, it'd be fun if you're right. Um, <laughs> but I think... Not for San Jose. Not for San Jose, right? It'll be fascinating to see how teams actually deal with the earthquakes yeah. and if they have a better response to do to pull a player out, to play into that space behind them without the cover. They only have one central defender back to cover really as an extra free man. Mm -hmm. So if they're able, if opposing teams are able to sort of fight through that and play around San Jose's main marking system, around Almeida's setup, then yeah, they're going to leak goals. So I think right. we'll really separate the tactically astute teams versus the the kind of we just play, we play for ourselves, we, we play to be as best as we can. I think we'll see which teams have prepared and which teams haven't. And I think that's fascinating. I'm, I'm interested uh, just how teams do adapt in the second year and really maybe how Almeida adapts. That's another thing, right? Because I feel like I almost said this, but then I feel like, man, Almeida's probably pretty set on his ways at this point. <laughs> but a hybrid, Jordan, a hybrid between man marking and zonal marking that would allow San Jose to still be on the front foot defensively to step high up the field of pressure, to do all the things that they like to do, to be aggressive stepping out to the ball wherever it is on the field. But maybe that's man marking just in midfield or man marking just in wide areas to have central cover or wide cover. Some hybrid between man and zonal marking could be a perfect mix for Almeida to keep his team fit, to keep his team sane, um, and also to maybe shore up the defensive area just a little bit. I don't know. I think yeah. this could be cool. Because you can see, too, just how much a toll that took on San Jose. They lost six straight games at the end of the, the season. It, it just is a lot 
of effort and we'll see if they're willing to put that in this year or if it is going to be successful. Yeah, we'll certainly so, be watching. That's for sure. Yeah. But we're going to move on from that and no more man marking. We're going to <laughs> Seattle Sounders next. Seattle Sounders coached by Brian Schmetzer, defending MLS Cup champions. Uh, yeah, exactly. If there was a little song we could play right here. Um, no. So they have, they have that star on their jersey now again, winning another MLS Cup. My prediction with the Seattle Sounders, tactically, I think we're going to see almost the exact same thing that we've seen from Brian Smetzer, certainly last season. It's going to be a 4-2-3-1. We're going to see Gustav Svensson hold it down in that defensive midfield double pivot. We'll see probably new signing Joao Paulo as the other starting central midfielder, Christian Roldan, maybe shift to the wing. But we're still going to see a 4-2-3-1. So if we're not going to see a ton of new tactics, at least none that we can predict without having seen the Sounders, then I think it's fair to move to to personnel instead of on-field stuff. So my specific prediction for the Seattle Sounders is that Danny Leva and Alfonso Ocampo-Chavez will triple their combined minutes from last season. So that sounds triple. That sounds pretty Why impressive, right? Triple, yeah. You know, it sounds like they're going to be playing a lot of minutes, but I, I went <laughs> back and looked at... Uh, their background and how much they played last season for Seattle. Leva played 413 minutes and Ocampo Chavez played 82 minutes in MLS play. So that's a combined total from 2019 of just 495 minutes. So these are young kids, the young academy guys who are now signed with the first team. Leva is only 16. AOC is only 17. So that's why I think with, with their limited minutes last season, tripling would put them just under 1500 minutes. So that's still very okay. doable. I think even more why? than that. Why? Why do be you fair. think these Yeah, why do you think these two are going to get some more minutes here? It's another year with the senior team, right? Leva's as I said only 16, a central defensive midfielder who can play in Schmetzer's double pivot. He's smooth on the ball, great passing range. Um still has some deficiencies in his game. He needs to work on his smart running, where positionally he needs to be defensively and when to step high in the attack. Sometimes he's a little a little bit like a chicken with his head cut off, but that's understandable as a young player moving up a level. Then Ocampo Chavez, he's a versatile forward, pretty good with both feet, maybe not great at any one thing. And so they, they have advantages and disadvantages, these kids. But with another year under Schmetzer, another year training with the first team, all of these things that come with experience, I think it's time for these kids to actually get these minutes because we keep hearing about Seattle. They, they've done some good things with their designated, you know, with their development academy set up with their Tacoma Defiance team in USL. They have the pathway now, but if these kids aren't actually playing with the first team, what does it mm. matter? And I think yeah. these two kids, Leva and Ocampo Chavez, are the most likely guys to break into that team. And so that's why I wanted to predict that, just to sort of highlight how the Sounders, they've won on the field. They've been pretty consistent over the last few seasons. But as a club, as an organization, if they want to step forward, youth development has to be part of that. Okay. And what better time to do it than... Um, when you have a roster who not a lot of changes really in their roster as far as players from last year that have left. Right. So you've got a lot of these players who just won MLS Cup. So you're having getting to play amongst players who have that experience and have that understanding to help you get better as a player, too, when you are inserted into those areas it was fun seeing i was in seattle for mls cup last season it was fun mm -hmm. in the locker room i talked with danny leva it was kind of kind of fun seeing him almost just look on as everyone else was getting a ton of media attention in the locker room there was you know this budweiser was or post -game? post game post game so there's budweiser everywhere there's you know bottle caps <laughs> on the ground corks everywhere looking at danny leva almost you could sense that it's not his time yet and even even this season he's not going to be a full-on starter he'll get minutes because of ccl the Sounders are in CCL after winning MLS Cup because of the long regular season and Open Cup. He'll have plenty of chances to play, um, but he's getting closer and closer to that. He has the maturity. He's played with the USU 17s. He has experience playing in, in kind of big international games for his age group. So especially Leva, I think despite the competition for that midfield spot in the 4-2-3-1, he has the ability. He's seen He's been in big games or he's been around big games in experienced teams. So this could be the year that we say Leva and Alfonso Ocampo-Chavez triple their minute total at least, if not quadruple it. But we're going to stick with triple just because it's a little safer. So, mm -hmm. Jordan, on to our second to last prediction here. We're in the home stretch, Sporting yes. Kansas City. Okay. 
Sporting Kansas City, coached by Peter Ramiz. I think the story for them last year, minus missing the playoffs, which is a huge story, it's just injuries, right? They were injured constantly and some really key injuries for them throughout the season that just threw off their flow. And I think if one, if anything's true about Sporting Kansas City is they're just a very consistent team. They have been a very consistent team over the years and they weren't able to get there because of all these injuries. So I mentioned Sporting Kansas City gave up a lot of goals last year when I was I was talking about um, San Jose earthquakes and that was 67 goals against. Oof. My prediction is Sporting Kansas City will give up 15 less goals this season. Okay, okay. Is it something about the roster, the personnel, or just hoping that 2020 is going to bring better luck from an injury standpoint? Why do you think they're going to give up fewer goals in 2020? Both. I think that you can't go through two years where you have that amount of injuries and that amount of inconsistency in your starting lineup there. I think there were times there during season last year where they only had a couple players on their bench, like maybe three mm-hmm. players that were active and able to even come off the bench to participate in the game. So, uh, Yes, they are going to be a lot less injured, and that is going to give them consistency. But they also just signed a new center back, Winston Reed, played at West Ham, and he, it's going to give them depth to this center back position. And you have some players like Graham Smith from DU, who's now a part of uh, SKC as of last year, and he does give them depth. But this is a player in Winston Reed who comes in and has over 300 international games and in top European leagues, uh, played for New Zealand at the World Cup. His knowledge of the game and playing at high levels, I think, is something that is going to challenge the two of center backs in Beesler, as well as Roberto Puncic, who's, who played a little... We were talking before, Joe, and you said you actually saw him play in preseason in Tucson already this year. So when you're adding depth to the center of defense in that center back position, it's giving Matt Beesler and Borath uh, someone, Borath, uh, ch- just a challenge, right? It creates competition in the back line. And then with competition, it breeds better performances. And I think that if you're giving up 67 goals in a year, you need more competition in the back line and you have to have a consequence for not performing. And so I think that Vermees is in a good spot bringing these players in, not even talking about who he's brought in on, on the attacking side, um, because that's a whole other thing. But <laughs> Which we did it, last week with Daryl, by the way. Right, yeah, really good breakdown. I love that. Um but I think that competition in the de- the defensive line, especially the center back spot, is going to, one, it brings in experience, it brings in leadership and in knowledge, and I think that's going to really help this team uh, leak less goals. From Winston Reed's you know, on-field standpoint, I, I haven't seen him play in probably a couple of years after mm-hmm. he was playing for West Ham, so I personally don't know where he stands as far as his ability to actually contribute defensively. But at the very least, even if he does have that talent still, he has that experience. He has the ability to push, especially when you have a guy like Matt Beasler in there as well. Those two guys with tons of experience can push the entire defensive core to be better every single training session. And I think that's going to be huge for SKC this season. Right. It really is. And as you said, only 19 starts for Reed in the last three seasons with West Ham. But it is a player when you can get a good quality center back. I think we've seen this in MLS. It, it it really changes the way that your team can perform. And it's not a lot. It hasn't been often where teams are bringing in these big center back signings, but when they do it, te- it tends to pay off. And just one more nugget on SKC before we move on to our last team to preview here. SKC also brought in a new central midfielder, Gadi Kinda from Israel, I believe. Um, I saw him play in person, talked to Peter Vermees about him afterwards. SKC kind of have this established midfield core. Um, you've got Espinoza, who's a classic kind of sporting Kansas City player. Then Ilya as well, who holds down that number six spot. Um, and then you've got Felipe Gutierrez, who came in somewhat recently in the last... Not Then you've got Felipe Gutierrez as well. Gianluca Busio is another kid, a younger guy who could and certainly will be trying to break into this team. Then you add in Kinda to the mix. That's five central midfielders. Kinda likes to pressure defensively. He has good energy, loves to combine. He loves to to pass the ball short and then follow immediately on an underlap and an overlap. 
even within central midfield. So he's always moving. He has good skill on the ball. For me, he's highlighted his work rate and his vision as well. So you have this midfield battle brewing ahead of the center backs that we talked about, Jordan, that you brought up. So those two positional battles, especially for central midfield and for center back, could breed that same competition. We were talking about it with Minnesota, with Toy and Amaria, how good competition is for soccer teams, especially after a season where SKC did not have the defensive performance that they wanted. Yep. All in all, through that spine, it's definitely some some additions there that's going to help SKC. Less goals this year. That's my prediction. 15 less. So we'll see if it happens. Okay, last one. You ready for it, Joe? Last one. I am ready, Jordan. Up, okay. up last, up first, up last, I guess. Um, We have the up Vancouver Whitecaps, mm-hmm. coached by Mark okay. Dos Santos. A really poor, sorry, Vancouver fans, 2019 season for the Whitecaps. Expectations, honestly, realistically, are pretty low for 2020. Um, but okay. I think that's a good thing. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. They're still rebuilding from an organizational standpoint. And then also on the field with the roster, only Mark Dos Santos' second year in charge coming into year two, his second full preseason with the team. So my prediction, the last prediction for this Western Conference preview for the Whitecaps is that the Athletic will run at least three stories on Mark Dos Santos this season. It sounds strange, okay. but I'm going to explain it. So hold tight. Okay. Is is there any, um, and you will be running one of those stories? Well, I mean, it's So possible. you have a little bit of control over it? <laughs> just, just to give some transparency here, I am a contributor to The Athletic, um, and I think, I think this is a fun one because it sort of hits at how the Whitecaps are going to develop this season. So, yes, it's possible. I could cheat on this one just like I did on my trusty one, but that's really up it's to George Qureshi. That's right. Yeah. It's being smart. It's being smart. Um, so that's up to my editors more than it is up to me. But... I think the idea behind this prediction is with three stories on Mark Dos Santos specifically as a coach, as a person, as a soccer mind, um, that means the Whitecaps are going to be better this season. You want to write about players and, and coaches who are performing well, who are in charge of fun projects. And I think the Whitecaps development track from last season, 2019 to 2020, is going to be fascinating. Why do you say that? I mean, so last year in 2019, they finished last in the Western Conference. They had the second lowest point total in Major League Soccer with only 34 points. Cincinnati was the only team that was worse, and that was still pretty close. And we know how bad Cincinnati was. So you bring in some talented players this offseason. Lucas Cavallini, striker from Puebla and Liga Mekis. And then a guy who Daryl and I talked about last week, Leonard Owusu, who's still trying to get it in the country, at least as of Friday, with some visa issues. So maybe he's not a factor immediately this season. But those are two guys who I think are big, big upgrades and certainly bring a lot of talent to this likely starting 11 for Mark Dos Santos. Then then you have the tactical side. So the personnel yeah. side is half of it. Like I talked about with Houston, that's half of it. Then the coaching side is the other part. Mark Dos Santos is working hard this preseason to get his team to step high up the field, to press, to win the ball, and to shift the other team using possession. Every coach wants to do that, right? That's not mm-hmm. unique. Um, but I think... Vancouver, despite the bad season last year, with some of the talent that they have and with Mark, De- Mark Dos Santos' coaching experience, I think it could be an actual possibility. It's not possible. It's just straight up not possible for some teams to do it. It might not look pretty at the beginning of the season as they're waiting for the talent to mesh with the players they had in 2019 as they're trying to allow Mark Dos Santos to continue having time to work with the squad. But I think out of a 4-3-3 shape with one defensive midfielder and then two more advanced eights, then you have the wingers as well. It could also switch to maybe a Christmas tree, a 4-2, a 4-3-2-1. Got my numbers crossed mm-hmm. a little bit there. <laughs> I think Dos Santos has the ability to shape this team into a dynamic attacking group. He coached with Bob Bradley. He has experience coaching in the lower divisions. I think Vancouver are at least going to be a fun surprise. They might not make the playoffs. They might not have everything put together in 2020. But they're going to be interesting from enough angles that I think The Athletic is going to run at least three stories on Mark Dos Santos in 2020. Maybe that's Matt Pence up in the Pacific Northwest, Jeff Reuter talking about his, you know, Mark Dos Santos' lower league days, and who knows, maybe I'll chime in with one from a tactical standpoint for 2020. But Mark Dos Santos will be written about at least three times by The Athletic for the 2020 season. You heard it here first from the lips of Joe Lowry. I like it. <laughs> Just I mean, I'm interested to hear it. You know, just you talking about those formations and how they can play an attack with utilizing some of their uh, player personnel. I would like to read one of those articles. I, mean, I would. I would read it. Hopefully, you'll read three, not just one. Um, just three. Just three. That's all I want, though. No. Just three. No more than three. No fewer than three. <laughs> oh, we did it. We did it. We made it through all thirteen teams. That was quite you the undertaking. Yeah, our yeah. listeners did it more than us, I suppose. That was that was a lot to get through. But I think, Jordan, I think we got a lot of good info out there. And I think 
I mean, honestly, I'm just even more excited to do the Eastern Conference preview next Tuesday. Yeah, I just think it's fun. Maybe we should see if anybody has some good predictions, too, on Twitter. And they can hit us up with some of their predictions for one of these Eastern Conference teams that we can lead into our talk. We will absolutely do that. You can you can follow us on Twitter at Joe and Cleats. At Jordangeli. And we'd love to hear your predictions both for the West and, you know, leading up to the East. We might steal some. We might not, um, but if we, we do... We might not even steal. We, we'll just give you a shout-out. There hey, you go. This, this is a good pre- prediction. We're, we're not going to steal your your shouts. That's true. We'll uh, shout-outs we'll are probably better than you. theft. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with, uh, chat with me about Major League Soccer today. I had a lot of fun, and we'll be back again next week with another episode, right? We'll be here. Thanks, Joe.